BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If you don't want to know about me, then what you ask for? What you ask for? Check my resume, bitch, I've been that man. Now what you ask for? Now what you ask for? If you don't get it, I don't turn it, motherfucker who want it. You can walk around the sand, but we the ones who run it. And you can walk around the My next guest has worked with artists such as Wu-Tang, Benny the Butcher, Corrupt, Planet Asia, Crooked Eye, and many, many more. A long list uh, that if we went into, take up the whole interview. Uh, he's about to release his new EP, Toledo. He's an A&R extraordinaire and an MC, of course. He's M80, and I want to welcome him to the Library of Tamanico. Thanks for being back on the show, man. And the crowd goes wild. Wild, I tell you. Thank you, Timmy. Thank you for being here, man. Um, so... Of course, it's the name of the EP is Toledo. So you're 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 presenting. I feel like you're presenting Toledo to the world. Uh, obviously, not many people know about the hip hop scene in Toledo. So if you can, just kind of break it down to us. Like, what is the hip hop scene there, and what should people know that they don't know? When I meet girls that say their boyfriends do anything but rap, I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of rappers in Toledo. A lot, tons, and you know, Toledo borders Detroit, and of course, you no, know, that spills over to Detroit, or vice versa. Maybe Detroit spills over to Toledo, but uh, there's a, a hefty, hefty music culture here in Toledo. Um, I was born and raised in Toledo before my family moved to Indianapolis. Um, so yeah, I just you know, I, I have a, a lot of roots here and a lot of love for where I come from. Uh, we did the Glass City album in 2012. And uh, we always want to do a Glass City too, but uh, as far as my artist projects, like the next M80 album and the third installment of Almighty at Glass City, uh, you know, everything artist-wise for me, including finishing my book, was put on the back burner. The more and more client albums and and works I have to pick up, you know, for the likes of the artists you named in the intro. Uh, So. A lot of the albums that we were planning on releasing for 2019, like, you know, uh, first new Rakim project in forever and Benny and members of Wu-Tang and Bishop Lamont and Crooked Eye and things like that. A lot of artists, um, you know, like I'd say like half of them are on their game and, and the projects come around. The other half are still taking time with their writing. So if I finally had like a niche and a, and a window just to be like, okay, I can work on some stuff for me right now nice. uh, while everyone else is writing and, you know, taking their sweet time. So uh, I was in the Midwest a few months ago and just knocking out tracks, and uh, the idea came together in one of our last sessions. Like, you know, let's let's not try to overthink this and, and spend years making the, the perfect album. Let's, uh, let's take all these songs I've done with these Toledo artists that were unreleased, and, and let's go. Uh, as you mentioned, the Toledo artists that you do feature, I mean, there's two of them uh, off the bat, is uh, uh, Gifted and Fifth Element. Yeah, uh, and we just shot the video for Done Done It yesterday, so we're hoping to get that out uh, Thursday in line with the Toledo uh, listening party. Nice. 
But you know, as I mentioned, you do you you wear like, you wear many hats in this industry, right? Uh, yes, so sir. you do have the kind of the you 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 have the the, the, the gift, I guess, to say that you also spot you no not gift you spot talent. Um, so yes. what for these two artists I just mentioned, like on what what as as an A&R guy, what what impresses you most about them, and then as a fellow MC, what impresses you most about them? Uh, from a personal standpoint, I like Gifted because he's always been the guy in town that everyone like fears, <laughs> nice. and I'm like. Damn, that's awesome! Like, because that only like you know, like that's big in like say like New York and Cali, and it's awesome to see it on like a small scale. Like, that's the man everyone fears, and like, and he's dope too. So it's like, okay, cool, double threat. Kind of, you know. Um, fifth is up and coming in the battle scene, and just been like destroying it. Mm. So they're close. The two of them are close, and it's like uh, last time. I guess one of the times I was in town finishing, you know, working on some of these songs. It's like, hey, let's let's get in and do this track together. Um, and then Gifts and I worked previously on the Glass City record. Um, but their combination together is just flawless to me. Like, they could do an album together that would probably be one of the biggest things in the city. Um, if not further. And I feel good that, you know, me doing this project is helping bolster their name to, to larger markets. Uh, you know, having done done it, playing on like Shade 45 and Dash Radio and, and various other uh, radio that time and whatnot, the interviews I've done and things like that, it's just been it's been great. And I know they're extremely appreciative. Um, other artists that were on the Tweedo EP, uh, like Philippe, I, I had uh, an art his album that came out I think around 2012. Uh, the Indicted LP was a humongous record for for the city of Toledo really let people know they could do bigger things than just like, a, you know, the local records. Uh, Fleet Town had like Monsters production and features from the likes of Gucci Man and Cam Brown and Young Falk and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, and, and Verbal, Verbal I've known for the longest. He produced a good bulk of the Toledo EP. Uh, runs the studio in town. We recorded the outback called Fat Sound, or, uh, yeah, Fat Sound Records. And he partners with my partner, Anna Domini, uh, Adrian, who runs the whole Anna Domini Nation and stuff. And Anna was based out of the United Kingdom. And in the past few years, he's been a resident of Los Angeles. Uh, so we can work uh, closer together. Oh, you mentioned Verbal. Verbal, you know, not, not just, as you said, produced a, a bunch of the, uh, the EP, but he also, he's featured on a few of the tracks. Yeah, um, he, he raps as well. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's regarded by somewhere in the know as just like the city's best. Mm-hmm. Uh, not from a rapping standpoint too, not just on the production. Uh, but like most great producers, he's kind of a recluse. So, you know, it doesn't really bode too well for claims of anyone being the greatest at their craft. They're not really putting themselves out there. I mean, you got to really, and in rap, unfortunately, we're not afforded with the, uh, you know, not being able to put a face with the name. People need to see you out there, make your moves, doing what you're doing, uh, to really, to really want to get behind your art, to really want to get behind your movement. Uh, and that's just, you know, one of the unfortunate things that comes with our, our culture. Uh, you know, people in rock music or jazz or whatever other genre of music never really uh, faltered from that stigma. But in rap, it's like the fans and everyone really needs to put a name with a face for them to identify with, with you know, wanting to be behind your product. Mm-hmm. Um I want to, I want to turn to, uh, uh, Nino Gray. He's, uh, you know, I, 
I, I really have grown to appreciate everything. That's your boy. Yeah, That's your boy, does. boy. <laughs> uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's on lights out right, right now. Um, you know, also being one half of Glass City. Uh, looking at yeah. your resume, and as I mentioned, you, you know talent, so you know there's nothing. No one could take that right, obviously, away from you. Um, what was your first reaction when you? And I should have asked you this when I first had you on. But what was your first reaction when you first heard Nino Smith? Uh, Nino Spit, and then kind of what stood out most to you? When I first heard him rap in, I don't know, like 2010, 2011, I was like, I, I knew instantly. I was like, this dude's amazing. Uh, you know, like we didn't know each other. Like personally, I, mean, I think he knew who he knew who I was. Like, and uh, we linked up in town. Like, I came and met him. I think in his apartment, um, and then like, we just went to the studio one night on the whim. Like, hey, let's go. Uh, we recorded the song "Doubt Me," that's going to be featured on uh, DJ Beans' upcoming tape. She's putting the record out, uh, and it was and that song never made the Glass City album. Um, and I, I said, the Glass City album to date for me is my favorite of all my artist projects. Just everything about it. Like, I lived in Indianapolis at the time, Nino lived in Toledo. Mm. Uh, I would literally write to the skeletons of these tracks as I was making the three hour and change drive to Toledo every time. So I'm writing to like drums and, and bass lines. That's it. Wow. Then we get to the studio and the producers there were crafting the full tracks around the verses. So just the whole organic process of it all like added a whole new element of like wow to me. Because we were so used to, you know, with the previous M80 albums and how we make various other A&R products. It's like the beats are submitted. Um, and for the most part, not too much has changed. You know, like elements are dropped out and added on. Uh, you know, maybe post-recording, but this was all being done, like, in live, real time. Um, and so, you know, from that record, we, we made sure the press was right. Uh, I, I think it gave Dino a real eye-opening experience to how the music business operates. Was and it, a lot of a lot of artists go their entire career without ever grasping them. What What surprises, usually for in your experience, what surprises the artist the most about the music industry? What surprises them the most is how accountings are done and like how royalties are divided and how artists are paid and things like that nature. Like I have artists, the, 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 the main question I answer now on the admin side of things, the artists I'm working with or want to work with me is basically how payments are devised. And like, why does someone like Jay-Z say like, oh, you're still taking advances, huh? Still taking penitentiary chances, huh? Like, things like that, like, they don't get it, and I have to explain them. But someone like Jay-Z, who has all the money in the world, right. doesn't need to go to any label or, or company or third party, whatever, and ask, like, what can you do for me right now? You know, mm -hmm. unless it's like a Live Nation, Rock Nation deal, and they're giving them 150, 250 billion, whatever, whatever. For the, for the average artist that is approached by a label, whatever the advances they're offering, let's say 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, whatever it is, there's usually a multiplier built into that with, without considering costs of like manufacturing and PR and all these other outside costs. There's this multiplier. And the multiplier is the fact that this label is a bank. There's interest on the money. There is label expenses like operating an office, staff, mm -hmm. bills, things of that nature. So an artist would say, like, man, I just got 100K, and when I recoup this money... You know, I'm getting 50-50 or 70-30 or 60-40, whatever it is, and that's not the case. So when they find out on the, you know, like, the, you know, on the hard end, I guess, like, if a label advances you, let's say, 100 grand, usually you're not seeing a dime of that until they recoup times three. 
maybe times three and a half when you have the, the, uh, those other expenses. So the average, the average artist that doesn't incorporate their attorneys and really learn to understand the business makes that hundred grand back, ideally. <laughs> you know, yeah. thinking that cool, then then they're going to start sharing in this profit share. That that doesn't happen. That they get disgruntled and it's like F the label and things like that. You know, they, they, yeah. it's very uh, it's very overwhelming um, when when you know you're new in the business and don't you know like you. You just thought you thought the dream was going to be different than the reality. Mm-hmm. So thank God for me, I understand the dream and the reality, and I can move accordingly. But a lot of art, a lot of artists, you know, really find find that as a deterrent. Um, and then there's the whole fact that like labels clearly offer, you know, distributors their jobs to distribute records, right. so they get their twenty percent, thirty percent, whatever they're going to take. Their job is really not to do too much other than make sure your records get to these, you know, these these carriers. They might put some marketing in there, great. Maybe some radio if you're above a big ticket item, uh, but that's not their job. Their underlying job as a, of a distributor is to distribute. The labels, on the other hand, you know, they're they're supposed to be the whole machine. Uh, we provide PR services. We provide marketing. We provide ad services. We provide you know outlets to radio. They they can do it all. Touring, whatever, if if need be. Um, and of course, that's reflected against artists accounting. But a lot of artists get discouraged, like I'm saying, either when they learn that the accountings aren't coming back like they should, and then the next step for them is, well, I don't need the label. I'm going to do it myself. But then when they do it themselves, realize they don't have any of those resources. So it's like you get screwed over by the label. Then you screwed yourself by trying to do something that maybe a label could have made pop for you by doing it yourself. And then be like, crap, I really didn't understand what a hefty undertaking this was. So I'm kind of the guy in between all that business advising artists what is the best look for them. Um, some artists have cult followings and can do the do-it-yourself stuff by themselves if they had to. Like when I worked heavily with cannabis, uh, my current works with Planet Asia, like nine, nine out of ten albums we do with Asia have record deals attached to them. But it's like if we had to do it ourselves, we know we can. We have that following. Hmm. Uh, the Toledo EP doesn't make sense for me to sign to a label because it's like, look, here's my sound scan history. This, but this I made up to three thousand units. This did five thousand. This all mine did eight thousand. This did this. So it's like, okay, cool. If I can just appeal to a thousand of these people, why would I want you to have twenty percent, thirty percent, fifty percent? So everything is staying in house. Um, I can account to the artist on the record, you know, easily myself. Uh, every online sale is logged. Uh, every number goes to SoundScan. So it's like, all my, my goal for this EP is to have it chart after the first week numbers come in on September 9th and really, you know, make the people on the product, like the city of Toledo and, and my, my supporters, fans, family, uh, throughout the Midwest and everywhere else, just, just proud of that, that, you know, another great feat of the M80 resume. That's the thing. So you just, you you obviously just broke down the kind of the entire business aspect of the music industry, uh, and then you have this thing where you 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 obviously also could spit, uh, you know, like crazy. So what is that? Is there a surprise aspect to that when you, you when you kind of break it down to people and then you explain to them that no, I'm an MC as well? How surprised are they usually, and like what surprises them yeah. the most? I mean, I've I've worked with Wu Tang for like 15 years. And, like, actual work, like, as an A&R, not just on the artist side. The artist side is closer to 20. Um, and 
I learned when I when I knew I wanted to be in the business of music, and I was still just emanating the artist. There's, there's, you know, uh, the only business I was handling at the time was my own business. I never led with that artist foot forward. Hmm. So there's artists in Wu Chang, like like literally Master Killer at Sundance this past January. Like I just found out that you rap. And I'm like, dude, we have songs together. What are you talking about? He's like, I, yeah, but like that was like when I that was like a fluke to me. Like he's like, you like rap, rap, like have albums and toured, <laughs> like and videos. And he's like, and you were the kids with world records. And it, it was hilarious. Cause I'm like, you know, I never let with that foot forward. So every person I've worked with has found out at their own, I guess, point in time through our work history that that's part of who I am. Um, you know, so it's like. Everyone I've worked with, I could have had songs with. Like, every producer I've worked with, I could have been like, you know, P-Rock, let me get on a joint. I've had that leisure to do so. But the focus after I decided to become uh, a successful person in the the business of music was never to let me just take, you know, from from my melting pot and make me a bigger artist. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the Toledo EP is very evident of what I'm saying. Like, there's the most famous element of the Toledo EP is me. Uh, which, you know, pat myself on the back, whoop you do. But it's like, I, the, on the other uh, other side of the token, I could make that album. You know, I, I had Taking Back What's Mine in 2011, which was all my famous collabs and things like that. So you had RZA and Wu-Tang Clan and Rhyme Fest and, and uh, who else saw that? Like Gucci Man and, you know, like that. So that's the, the, the opposite sides of the, the coin, opposite sides of the spectrum. But the goal for me was knowing that the main... You know, the big money, the career longevity, all the greatness that comes with actually having a future in music came from being prominent in the business. Mm. Why, why, I mean, that's interesting that you didn't, you, you didn't lead with the, the, I guess the MC foot when, you know, reaching out to these guys or working with these guys, because it seems like, it seems like, um, that is a good, uh, you know, way into gaining, I don't know, quote unquote, trust with people. Or fellow artists, if they know you've been yep. there. Uh, so why did you kind con- of, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but why didn't you kind of consciously lead in with, hey, you know, I'm an artist too, but I'm going to help you this well, way? Some, some knew it. Like when I met Wu Tang, I was, I was opening up for them. So like gradually I worked on, I did shows with like everyone in Wu Tang Clan, I think with the exception of Riza. Um, Riza met me in the business first. Um, so some people knew, you know, off the bat, but I wanted them to take me serious. I didn't want them to just write, like, I didn't want it to be like, hey, I rap, you rap, like, we should work together. Because guess what? They have to hear that every day of their lives, sure. no matter where they go. And it's like, you're not remembering everyone. Like, everyone I work with that I've worked with for years, like, I, everyone on my roster I've, I've worked with for over a decade, which is a good thing, because it speaks very, I'd like to assume it speaks high to my my character, my quality of human being. Um, but everyone can reflect on the past and be like, dude, I remember when I met you like as the rapper. And they, they appreciate the history of me in the mix more now, knowing that it's like, wow, you really worked your plan and your plan worked for you. Because, yeah, granted, we probably would not have taken you seriously or give you as much of our time and our light if we knew it was just on some artists, you know, right. whatever. So my my whole thing was like, I'm not an idiot. Like I was, you know, I'm in school. I, I, I'm a, I study people like, like everyone does. Like human beings are, are self-interested. So it was never about like, what can I, like, what can you do for me? It was like, 
this is what I can do for you. Right. And and being cognizant and knowledgeable about their music. Like, I remember one time, uh, me and my friend Larry, we were in a Red Bands Hotel in Chicago where we just finished the show. And Red just played, like, I think, like, 30, 40, like, old-school records, like, soul records, things like that. It was like, yo, what? Quizzing me. Like, what rappers? Who sampled this? I'm like, oh, Ghostface did this. Or uh, Biz Marquis did this. Or De La Soul did this. And it was just like, okay, like, you're knowledgeable. Like, you know, you're, okay, let's let's work. So the point is, like, you know, every, everything I've done has kept me sharp on the business side to ensure that my artists stay on point. You know, like, that that's huge for me. Like, when I work with, say, like, Kill a Priest or a, a Wu-Tang or Bronze or, you know, Crooked Eye, just uh, every one of my artists I want to see make as much money as possible, have the best opportunities of looks as possible, without diluting their brand and really just, you know, being happy with their craft at the end of the day. Hmm. I've been wanting to ask you this question for a while because you, because you're, you're, I, I believe you, you have a different take on it. Um, there's this argument or discussion about features and how like a lot of albums nowadays are, you know, everyone, you know, there's like every, every track has a feature, right? Um, yeah, on the Toledo EP, yes. No, 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 no in general. No, no, yeah, but we're not. I, I understand. I understand why the Toledo EP has features. I'm just saying, in general, there seems to be a lot more features than I think when I was growing up. Yeah, as a kid, and um, you know, there's an argument that that kind of takes away from the artist, that the main artist on it. But I want to ask you the question of what is, in your in your point of view, what, what's the, what's the what the benefit of having these features? For not just the artist of the artist's album, but also the artists that are for the features. Features again, like like a double-edged sword. You really got to think it through. Um, for upcoming artists, for you know independent artists, the features add two different things. One is the look to a label or a distributor. If you're an artist that has no sound skin history, no BDS history, no tour history. But, but say a label or a label A&R thinks you have talent and they want to work with you, they can use at sometimes the, the strength of the artist's feature names and their kind of stats and history to help bolster opportunities for you and your project, you know, if they're going to release it, if you've signed a record deal, things like that. Uh, so that's one. That's the business side, the business angle, like looking at it, you know, like I want to make my project look attractive. Uh, audio and visually, you know, the one sheet when I'm putting something together for labels consideration. Like, okay, well, so-and-so's name by itself doesn't mean anything to me, but, oh, so-and-so worked with Slaughterhouse and has production from uh, Alchemist and, you know, whatever that might be. That that might keep their attention on, on you for more than that split second they would have given it otherwise. Mm. Uh, so that's the business side of the coin. The other side is, like, Okay, sometimes, you know, I need additional personalities, other vocals, other other voices to to tell the story I want to tell from an artistic standpoint, to really make the track I want to make. So, like, on my previous albums, uh, you know, it's like, hey, I just want to, like, Kill a Priest, I want to work with you, or Bronze, or Crooked Eye, or whoever, I want to work with you. Like, any of these artists that are on my previous features, it was just like, I want to work. So we just kind of like, okay, here's the canvas, let's paint you know, with no really uh, uh, form thoughts, you could say. Like, mm. this is the theme of the song. Let's, you know, but when I've, I've had to start and stop uh, speaking to Angel many times, that was a project where I was like, I want these specific producers to tell this theme story, and each 
feature is a character, and and is and the verses are relating to the greater story. So it was more of a thought out thing where it's like I need these additional voices, but strategically placed to tell the story I want to tell an album for. Where none of my other albums were like that. Um, so features, when done right, serve serve a greater purpose. Um, a lot of artists also stay away from it because, you know, people want to be paid and compensated up front for their work, which is the business. Right. Uh, you know, then it also dives into your royalties when you sell. It also dives into uh, publishing splits when, when your publishing house is paying you out back end and things like that. Um, now, other artists, for whatever reason, financial or not, look, I don't need the features. Um, this, is, this is my art. This is my project. This is what, what I want to do. This is the story I want to tell. And again, they suffer from potentially both sides of that as well. Without the features, unless you already have that built-in cult following or fa- our growing fan base, then, okay, let's, let's see what your numbers do. You know, artists can say they don't care about their about sales and stuff all the time, but the fact of the matter is if you're dedicating time, money, and resources to making music and it's not making you money back, Clearly, you're not going to continue doing that, you know? Uh, like, you can't, you can't, uh, I've never paid my mortgage by giving the land, you know, <laughs> or paid rent by giving the landlord, here's a copy of my album. It didn't work that way. <laughs> I had to physically hand them money. Wow. Well, um, doesn't work. So, so that's the thing. You know, that's the thing. I, I, I like, I think features are, are very tasteful when done right. Um, yes, there, there's great examples of overkill. A lot of, a lot of artists now is just like, you know, they, they got so many people that want to work with them. Like, like the game has always been a classic example. Um, you know, I would love to hear a game album that's primarily just the game, but, you know, for the most part, we're getting features on every song just because he's like, he's such a fixture in, in West Coast rap that it's like, he's, you know, probably works with various people every other time he's at the studio and just has all this material while I let it sit. So a majority of those features will end up making the album just so they're not becoming stale. Mm. Um, I want to turn back to uh, your your EP, uh, Toledo. You have um, uh, the artist uh, Zero Hiru on uh, Nights of the Hip Hop Roundtable. Um, Zero Hear You. Hear You. Uh, he, yep. he, his, he sounds a lot and, and this is not taken away from him, but he's, cause he's a, another great artist that he sounds like, but to me, he sounds a lot like Dell. <laughs> uh, yes, he does. And, and that was the original attraction when I heard it. I'm like, ah, cause I mean, come on. When's the last time you heard someone sound like, and to name Dell? Yeah. No, of it, all people, yeah. you know, I mean, right away. I, I hear a million Tupacs. I hear, you know, a lot of, uh. A lot of Migos sound alike now, but I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm working on his debut album slowly but surely, and because of another thing, like, you know, we have to the same conversations I'm having with you right now are what I usually have with him every time we have a conference call and stuff. You know, again, it's a brand new artist financially. You know, it's not like we're sitting on he's not sitting on a, a great deal of savings, let's say. Right. So. Hey, what's the consequence of me making a purely solo album versus like the need for features and stuff? What is you know when we shot the record, you know, going over the uh, the allocation of of uh, how how labels pay out and the benefit of label versus distributors or independents and and promotions or marketing leading up to. So we have all these same conversations, but yeah, so I've been working on his uh, debut for the past year as well. So do you, I mean, with, with an artist like that who, you know, like you said, I mean, I said, uh, sounds like Dell, right? Uh, do you, would you, do you play that up when chopping him or do you 
try to make him more play up his own lane? Uh, more of his own lane, and I'm not at the shopping stage yet for his project because we're still like trying to figure out. Like we're we're still we're still in the strategy. Okay. Um. Um. I guess strategy for our level of where we're at with it. Like, there's when when he records, you know, it's like, and I do this with a lot of my artists. Is this song album worthy? Is it mixtape or EP worthy? Is it a single worthy? Is it promo worthy? So we devise the music into certain folders so we can come back. So it's like when we're close to say finishing the album folder, then we go back and see, well, what's in, what's in these other folders? And that's how you build like the marketing plan around it. So say, say everything was done right now and it's uh, the end of August and he was going to drop at say the end of November. So now we have all these weeks, like say eight to 12 weeks leading up to that between September and sometime in November. So it's like maybe we drop, you know, a free mixtape in the middle of that, like promoting the album release. Maybe you have a song come out and that's not from the album, that's from one of these other EP or single folders once a week leading up to it so we can build up your analytics, you know, your your plays, your downloads, your views, your your people that like a fan page, things like that. So we're we're almost at that stage of building the the marketing and really format around it while he continues to record. How do you, uh, you, see, you you talk about uh, you know you're you're a sounding board for other artists, but then for you as an artist, who's 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 your sounding board? I mean, how do you, who do you work with in terms of your game plan for your for your music? Uh, I want to make sure I understand this question correct. So, who do I work with currently for this project, or like when or, I want to make M80 music in general? And yeah, like who who is who is your M80 yourself? <laughs> <laughs> when talking about creating music in general. Wow. Um, I, you know, if I need advice, I guess I, I'm going to approach it from this, just because to answer the question, I, the, the, the first thing that will come to my mind is no one. Hmm. Like, I don't, that, that was what made me so, like, unique in my, in the industry. Um, you know, it's like, oh, this dude is really about handling anything and everything we need. And I'm thankful that in my past I had the prominent artists, you know, like, upbringing because me as an artist and fan of the culture is what attracted, you know, the other bigger name artists. Like, I literally remember the first time I ever met Ray Kwan and Kill Priest and Lot of the Dark Man and Cap and, and everyone and could sit down and be like, this is what I like about this record you did, this album you did, this is what I would have done differently, da, da, da. and then been like, well, this dude really knows what he's talking about. Versus some, you work with some artists, like, I remember well, every time we'd work on a cannabis album, how quick he would dismiss any kind of constructive criticism. Like, you know, like, yo, bro, I get it, you're a legend and all, and you do your thing, but it's like, you know, maybe respect the opinion of others sometimes, mm. especially because, you know, a lot of people view, like, my era with cannabis as perhaps the best. And I think that when we did the Time Flies Like Dies album, that that was the best Canvas album of all time. And that was the last record we did together. And I, I was cool with our relationship kind of being done at that point because I didn't think I'd ever be able to give him better than that. Mm. And I was really proud of everything we did leading up to that. So reverting back to your question, for me as the artist, if I'm going to anyone seeking advice or not necessarily approval, but advice and guidance and things like that, I'll go to say a killer priest. I'll go to a crooked eye or a bronze Nazareth. Um, uh, you know, uh, someone that I don't talk to as much 
unless we're on the road or like in each other's face, but like that, I've always admired for, you know, just their all around character is, is Ray Kwan. Mm. So, you know, there's, I'm fortunate to have a, a melting pot of people that, to talk to, I need to run ideas by and, and business ideas and artistic ideas and things like that. But usually when it comes to the making of M80, anything is just kind of me in my own head and on go mode. <laughs> uh, the, the last track on uh, the EP is uh, Toledo to Cali. Uh, it you know talks about you kind of about you getting out of Glass City, traveling, making it big. What aspect of Toledo is always with you when you when you're traveling so much? Uh, self awareness. You know, Toledo is a very grimy, grimy place. Like, I mean, uh, I don't want to get into it right now, but even <laughs> you know, even these past forty eight hours in Toledo, like. Uh, you know, it wasn't the most savory, but it's like I'm always aware of my surroundings. You know, um, I know the right people to ensure that, you know, I can go wherever I need to go and my safety is intact, uh, things like that. So it's like that's, you know, I never, those things I didn't consider. I moved, I moved out of Toledo when I was 13 years old. Like when you're a child, you're not thinking about things like that. When you're a grown adult and still in this business where it's like, yeah, granted, I'm successful and I've done X, Y, and Z and made this amount of money and have X, Y, and Z to show for it, I know I'm coming back to territories where it's like, yeah, congratulations for you, bro, but, like, we want to rob you. Right. right. You know, like, like, we're proud of you and all, but it's like, shit ain't sweet over here for us. Right. So... What, I mean, self-awareness is, is the greatest thing. Like, you know, so when I when I approach, you know, like, people are like, you're a very humble person. Like, you know, some people don't think so at all, but <laughs> my like, fans and people I meet, like, that's the whole point. It's like, I, I'm one way online because, like, that's me living my life. So if I'm promoting, oh, man, like, I, I had this album and it reached the billboard chart, so I'm going to go buy a new car or a new piece of jewelry or put an addition on the house, like, that's me being proud of what I accomplished one, for my clients, and in turn for myself. Um, when I'm on the road and stuff, though, I know it's like, I'm not, I didn't make all that from being M80 the artist. Mm. So it's like, I don't think I'm any more famous as an artist, but, you know, besides, well, there's points. Like, me accomplishing a Guinness World Record clearly makes me a more famous artist. Right. Me having toured America makes me a more famous artist than, say, the guy staying next to me that's never performed outside of his locality. So there's things you just can't deny. We can't, we can't act like that doesn't exist. But the point is, I didn't go platinum in sales as I made the rapper. So therefore, I try not to put myself on a higher pedestal than the next person. Hmm. Um, when I worked with Nino, like, I wanted to work with him. Like, I thought he was promising upcoming artists. It didn't matter that I would say the more famous name or have more money or more resources or whatever, whatever. It's fun. I looked at that project as like we would work well together. And I think it's for, you know, to to not kick any dirt on the suit's name. Like, I, I mean, the same shit applies in 2019 that applied in 2012. Me being around certain MCs makes you a better MC. Like, he's great. So I felt like what I was writing for the Glass City album had to be on a certain bar or level of greatness. Yeah. A lot of people think my best verse of all time is on Handle the Heights, a song with Canvas, Keeper, and Bronze. And it totally makes sense because, like, I wasn't going to be the weak link on the song, you know? <laughs> so, 
so there's that aspect to it. And, uh, you know, so, like, people know I'm a, I'm a very appreciative person. I'm understanding. Uh, I, I definitely do more for others than I do for myself. So it's like, at the end of the day, there's a lot of great things where it's like, if my career had to be over tomorrow, I'm happy with what I've instilled, you know, upon the fans, upon upon the artists of my network, and just, just the game in general. So, you know, I could go out any day knowing that at least, like, I'm happy with my accomplishments on all sides of the coin. And I think that's what a lot of people really understand about me today. Uh, one final question. Uh, why, you just said, you know, if you could, if your career was over tomorrow, I'd be fine with you um, in terms of being an MC. But, but for you, but would you keep writing? So I guess why, why do you, why do you write, or why do you write rhymes? Um, I hadn't written a rap for six, like five or six years. Like, literally, L.A., I found extremely uninspiring for me as the artist. That's, that's, that was the first thing. I, I would, you know, like, I moved, when I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, man, it's going to be great. And I live on the west side, and there's beaches, and, like, anytime I can just post up and, you know, write. And it's like, okay, cool. That never happened. I got there, and work just kicked in full throttle. And, you know, anytime I picked up another client's, like an album for whoever it might be, like, you know, in the, or concert production or booking or whatever it is. Like, so I, I just lost sight of the whole artist side of it. Like, I, 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 and the older you get, the less you care as well. Mm. Because for the, for the rappers, you know, for, the money is in the young, it's, the money is allocated for the youth, to be honest. Right. Like, you know, I, the fortunate thing is a lot of these older artists, I mean, I'm, I'm 30, I'll be 38, but it's like a lot of my clients now are in their 40s and breaching their early 50s, and they may have sold more records, but the game is different now. There's more money allocated to, like, those coming up right now, you know, for, for shows, for sales, for streams, for everything. Um, so I just got so entrenched in the business and and that's like I said, that's my passion. Um, that going back to me writing and being MA the artist was like literally it's like okay, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. Right. Um and I I had so many hiccups working on uh what was supposed to be my, my sixth solo album, Speak of the Angel, because I tried to really make it like a concept project and uh, just like you know, when when you when you have the time to work for yourself, like, you know, I can sit down and write a song for myself. And you can do that on your own time. That's great. But when you start working on stuff that involves all these additional personalities, and no one's going to work on your time schedule, you know, only you are on your time. Uh, that's one of the drawbacks. And then there was my book, which people ask me about all the time. And that was like, okay, well, I'm done writing raps. But I'm going to write this first book. And the book's called Who's Your A&R? And I'm three, four, or five chapters in. And it's like, okay, I got the table of contents, so I know what I want to work on. Uh, every week, every month, whatever, and I have my little, like, you know, here's my schedule. Like, I'm going to finish the 60 Saiyan Assassin chapter. I'm going to finish the Cannabis versus after, uh, Disaster Battle chapter. That is a hard thing to say, Fox Fox. Cannabis, <laughs> cannabis, cannabis versus Disaster Battle chapter. That's <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm, and I'm knocking that out. But then, again, more artists, more client works are coming across the table. So then the book takes the back seat. And now the crazy thing about the book taking the back seat is like when I'm writing the book in 2014 and say, okay, me and Razcast don't have the greatest relationship in the world. And I'm writing this chapter a certain way. 
but now me and him are working together. And I call each other and can hang out and drink and get money together and everything, you know, everything's copacetic. That's a good thing. Because I'd always want to see a story end up on a positive note. Like, but if I would have finished that chapter in 2014, one of us is going to die. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, that's where that was going. Wow. But now in 2019, it's like, okay, now I need to read, like, you know, so I'm glad that there's been those, those kind of, uh, not necessarily setbacks, but at least time constraints on uh, on how I'm handling certain works. You know, I do want to finish the book in 2020, um, you know, and, and just get done with that. But, um, you know, I was never, I guess, in my feelings about not getting the, uh, you know, getting back to the artistry as quick as I would have wanted to because I, I found so much joy and so much, you know, like just accomplishments in working as an A&R and an admin and a PR and radio relations and executive producer, you know, on, on the business side of things. And, you know, most notably the Ghostface Killer album we did last year, which absolutely killed all expectations. Like, I mean, for RZA to tell me how impressed he is with what I did with that project, That's for awesome. Ghostface after the fact, like now, to be like, man, you killed that. Like, we, I, I, like, I, my, I, I come to the board with my vision. This is what I want to do. And they weren't with it at first, you know, like a ghost face, big ghost album. And this is the money that's going to be made. And this is how we're going to do this. Like, I'm completely going to kill ghost faces. The album he's got coming out in a couple weeks, his sales are going to be nowhere in comparison to what we did with the ghost face project. I did. You know, so it's an interesting thing. Like, I feel good knowing we we're so successful with it. And he's like, how are you going to tell me my shit ain't going to sell? So, and, you know, I know you, you recently did the interview uh, with Tech Nine, and we haven't touched upon any, anything Tech Nine, but, man, talk about uh, just a quality, quality human being. And uh, I've been glad to be able to render any and all assistance I have to their camp. Um, I was booking Tech Nine. That our, our relationship started with me bringing him to Indianapolis. But when I was producing concerts for the longest time, like, uh, there was this rumor that he was banned, like, like Wu-Tang Clan. And Rage Against Machine, they're banned, you know, like that. So everyone said Tech Nine fell in this category. And I finally got to meet him uh, when I was in Chicago with our thing members of Wu Tang uh, for Rock the Bells, one of the one of the like regional ones. And uh, he's like, "No, that's just a rumor. Like, no one's ever been, uh, you know, just man enough to bring me." I'm like, "Oh, oh, we're making this happen now." I swapped all the information, and I every time Tech Nine's come to Indy for the past eight nine years was, you know, Holy Toledo production until about last year when I stopped. I just kind of removed myself from all the, the Midwest production work um, uh, at the advisement of the Lab Nation and really just, you know, focused on my, my I guess, my whereabouts uh, in California um, and works I can do there. Uh, but tech is phenomenal. Australian music is phenomenal. I love all the work I get to do with E40. Um, his, new, his new project just dropped Practice Makes Paper and uh, a few of those tracks and the album itself are actually up for Grammy consideration. So, Wow. Big things, big things, though. What's your real quick? What is your favorite thing about? I, so I, you know, I got to see Tech Nine perform when I was in uh, North Carolina, thanks to you. Uh, so he's an incredible artist to watch live. What did you? I mean, I was just yeah. impressed that he. What is one of the? What 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 makes him such an amazing live performer? Because he's been around for so long, he's really like. Like, he's mastered the art of the live show. Like, let's say, like, Red and Map 
are my favorite ever live performers from their energy, from, from you know, the incorporation of their DJ, the music, and it's all around the best live show. Buster Rhymes and Star had that dynamic as well. But the difference between Tech Nine's live show and say some like Buster Rhymes or Reddit Map is there's more there's more of a visual component. Mm. There's more of a wow factor to it because of, you know, the the, the hybrid hyper spit lyrics and the fact that you're like, Well, this dude is really doing it. Like, it's crazy. So so a lot of times like like Red and Meth, there's no like heavy visual component to the show. There's no there's no pyrotechnics. There's no you know they go and do their show. It's hip hop. Boom, keep it moving. Red and or, I'm sorry, Tech Nine has has incorporated more of the element of like it's an audio, it's a visual experience. You know, when I when I go on the road, I bring my whole camp with me um, and big up my label, and so it, it, it's like it's not to, it's, it takes nothing away from Red and Meth. You know, that's, that's the greatest live show I've ever seen because it's like it's for performers. But, like, they're they're putting more money in their pocket at the end of the day. When the Tech Nine does a show, more of the money that would go to his pocket is going to sustain, you know, like, here's these TV screens and here's these pyrotechnics and here's, like, that's, you know, they're putting more money into the production of the event. And, uh, you know, a lot of upcoming artists that are doing shows clearly, you know, don't have that, that, um, that's the word I'm looking for. Don't have that, uh, uh, I guess, the ability to do that. Like, if you're getting 500 bucks a show or $300 or $1,000, whatever you're getting, you know, clearly that money is just straight going to the pocket. Like, the, you know, I think one time a member of Wu-Tang and a little show had brought, like, a, a mist machine or a bubble machine. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, we don't need, you don't need that, bro. That, that's just laughable. But, uh, you know, so that, that, that's the best part of the Tech Night show is it's really a all-out experience. And I love when he uh, when he plays Speedum. Yeah. It goes from Worldwide Choppers to Speedum, and just you know, I was I was there for the making of that um, when they were really biting their nails at the last minute to see if Eminem was turning his verse in and uh, things like that. So you know, that that's my favorite part of the Tech Nine show. And uh, his fan base is just you know as loyal as they come, and it's great. Um, and it really it's amazing how it trickles over to the other artists, all the strange music. Um, you know, like the people that, hey, Tech, we love you so much. You know, we're, we're going to buy the Sesquire album. We're going to buy the C.B. Stone record. We're going to buy the, you name it. And that, that's great. That's really great. Like, there's not a lot of labels that have it like that. Like, you know, you watch as a million people buy a Kendrick Lamar record on, say, Top Dog Entertainment, but, like, 20,000 people get absold. So, clearly, right. it's not translating the same way as far as brand loyalty and artist loyalty as it does on the Strange Music Camp. <laughs> so for you, in, in terms of the Toledo EP, what what what, what happens next? I mean, are you toy? I mean, quote, toying for it? Are you doing live shows? Are you? Uh, or, I mean, are you just kind of pushing? I, it? I would like to. I would like to finish the third installment of the Academy, which is not you know me on the artist side. It's it's uh, you know another it's an R project where it's like. Uh, promoting all new music from everyone I'm working with at the current in this current state of hip hop. And then depending on you know, we got projects coming out from like Crooked Eye and Razcast and Bronze and Kill Priest and Bishop Lamont all in the next hundred and eighty calendar days. Um, so it's like depending on how all those go and how my calendar opens up, I definitely want to open up to Almighty Three. 
which would feature uh, just like you know the first one had its lineup, the second one had its lineup, third one would have its new lineup of artists and producers and things like that. Um, so I, that that would be my next move uh, from MA to the artist. Uh, new EV coming out soon. What date is that? What date is the EV coming? Yes. August 30th. August 30th. This coming Friday. This Friday, uh, M80, uh, on the road, driving. Uh, the EP is coming out August 30th. Uh, damn it. Thank you so much, man, for doing this again on the live road to mine and go. Thank you, Tim. Of course. Cool. I appreciate you. Cool. So I'm let him know. Toledo, Toledo8god.com is where you can get the record, uh, the physicals. We got some t-shirts left, things like that. But of course, on the 30th, you know, it'll be on all your digital carriers, all your streaming carriers. So, digest the music, Calgary Camp. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.